0: Waypoint Church, what a wonderful time of celebration. What a wonderful time that we get to be a family to celebrate new life, decision, uh, kingdom advancement. Guys, what an incredible joy. It was such a pleasure for us and the family to be there. But we had to share that and celebrate that with the whole church family. So uh, whoever you're at, I hope you're celebrating. Hope you're praising. Um, hope you're experiencing the same joy that we all feel here um, to celebrate and welcome Isaac and Caleb, or Derek and Caleb in, uh, in baptism. So it's just what an incredible opportunity. Let's take some time right now as a church family and let's pray for the youth in our church. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the incredible young people, these amazing students that you've called to be a part of our church family here. God, they are so amazing. They inspire us. They move us. The ones who get to know them, who get to see them grow, God, you, they inspire us so much with their zeal, with their curiosity, with their compassion, with the way they reach out to others and love others um, so well, God, they just blow us away. So thank you so much for them. Thank you for the honor and privilege it is to know them and the call that you've placed upon us as a church body to raise them up to, to knowledge of you and to... Um, to to equip them and to help them train them and then give them opportunity to go forth and advance your kingdom. God, I pray right now for all the leaders. I pray for Eric and all the youth volunteers and all the leaders that you've called. Um, God, these incredible people that they have sacrificed their time, their effort, their resources to love and to pour into these students. Thank you for their hearts and thank you for the call that you placed upon them. I pray that you bless them as they continue to reach out to our youth students. God, I pray for our students. God, may they fall deeper in love with you every day. May they see your church and all its weaknesses and all its flaws as a safe place, God, as their family that loves them, supports them, and will rally around them. God, I pray, Lord, that they fall deeper in love with you and your church. God, I pray, Lord, that you call them to such um, a deep relationship with you and a call to you that they, for the rest of their lives, will follow hard after you. God, as they face... Uncertain times, they grew up in uncertain times. God, this is the time that they know, God. I pray, Lord, that you continue to equip them, empower them by your spirit to make good decisions. God, to be compassionate, loving people. May they be instrumental in the next wave of people knowing you, Jesus, by their love. So I pray that you overflow in them, God. I pray, Lord, that as you call others, God, as they reach out to their fellow students, God, as you call others who don't know you, will you use our youth, to advance your gospel in this community and around the world. God, we thank you for them. Will you continue to bless them mightily in Jesus Christ's holy name? Amen.
1: Hear the word of God from James 5, 7 through 12. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Again, church family, hope you're doing well. Today is our last Sunday in the book of James. You can have a sad sigh at this moment. I know. I hope you've enjoyed journeying through this book together. Next week, we'll start a short three-part series on the Apostles' Creed. We've never taught an Apostles' Creed before here at Waypoint, so the pastors thought it would be a good time to do a quick look into this wonderful statement of faith that has unified the church for so long. After the Apostles' Creed, we'll start a brand new series in the Book of Romans. So be excited, be pumped, it's going to be a fun, fun time. In our scripture today, James is closing out his letter with the same call he started off his letter with. He's calling on his people whom he loves To have patience and to persevere. In my household, when the word patience comes up, uh, immediately we start to sing this random song from somewhere long ago that I heard. I don't even know where I heard this song from long ago. But it goes like this. It says, we go, Have patience, have patience, Don't be in such a hurry. And when you have patience, You never have to worry. You're welcome for that. Because when you have, I don't remember what in the world I heard that song or two, but it stuck around with me for so long now that Gina and my boys, we all know that song, and we all sing that song. So when my boys are showing impatience, or I am, or Gina is, we, we kind of that's, that's just our go-to song to tell each other to be patient. Have patience, have patience. Now, I know for a four and six-year-old, patience is hard. And especially hard for me, actually, full confession time, most of you guys probably know this, I truly struggle with patience in so many areas of my life. I was telling the band, everybody earlier today, like, for me, like, me to give a sermon on patience, like, my wife's going to be like, really? And even even for myself, I kind of do a double take. I'm like, I shouldn't be the one giving this sermon. I I mean, I'm a very impatient person. That's probably why I enjoy Chick-fil-A so much. Like, they know how to crank people out and not make them wait very long. I mean, honestly, this is probably going against popular opinion here, but I much prefer Popeye's chicken sandwich to a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. I mean, way much more. Popeye's chicken sandwich, to me, tastes so much better. But do I ever go to Popeye's? No, because Popeye's always takes forever, and Chick-fil-A is so fast. And you know, I I might be the only one who thinks this way, but that's just the way I am. We are impatient people, aren't we, as a people? I mean, traffic, if you're stuck in traffic for a little bit, it drives you insane, doesn't it? Having to wait more than two days for a package to arrive? Uh Uh-uh, no way, you're not having that. Streaming a movie is instantaneous now, and if you had to wait for a second for your movie to buffer, you're like, what is wrong with my internet? Immediately calling your, your cable provider, internet provider. How many of you guys can actually remember connecting to your dial-up internet and then spending hours to download a song from Napster? Right? Yeah, or better yet, listening to your radio, ready to press the record button so you can have your favorite song on a mixtape. Can you imagine how insane any of that would drive us nowadays if we had to wait that long? Technology is awesome, but it's made us more and more impatient people. I fear that we are constantly working towards speed and instant gratification in our society, that we're becoming less and less patient. Now, guys, there's different types of patience, and I totally get this, but patience is a virtue. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that nowadays doesn't seem to be wanted but God is serious about patience because persevering faith and gladness in God requires it. I'll say that again. God is serious about patience and developing patience in us because persevering faith and gladness in God requires it. Persevering persevering joyful faith in God requires patience. That's what we're going to be seeing today in our text. Let me give you a quick little rundown of our text today. It goes like this. Be patient, the Lord is coming. Be patient, God is accomplishing something in you. Be patient with each other. Be patient, God's promises are true. And be patient with each other in honesty. That's the outline of our text today, verse James chapter five, verse starting in verse seven. And this outline of this text, and James' argument for this for this group of people who are oppressed externally and conflicted internally is fivefold. So these are the five things we just said. Be patient, the Lord is coming. James starts off this passage of Scripture with the call that came in the end of chapter 1, be patient, persevere, hold true to the end. Now remember, the original recipients of this letter needed to hear this word from James. I said that they were most likely believers that were scattered after the persecution that happened in Jerusalem. James was most likely their pastor in Jerusalem, then they scattered everywhere. They became refugees living in a foreign land. They were persecuted and cast out. James is calling them that yes I know you're suffering I know it's difficult I know you're in a crazy land I know you don't know what's going on be patient Jesus is coming back in other words be patient there is an end and an incredible purpose see for two millennia the heart and the mind of the believer in Christ has been set on the return of Christ and all things being made new you see for the Christian all of history has a purpose it's going somewhere We're moving toward something away from something. That thing we're moving toward is the day that Christ returns and consummates his kingdom and all that he's accomplished on the cross and his resurrection. We're moving toward that something. And so we set our minds upon it, our imagination upon it. We say our father, our king, our God is coming. And we set our hope and expectation upon that coming. Last night, I was watching and hanging out with my two boys while Gina was out with the awesome women of our church leading a, a women's prayer and worship night. And the boys not had a great time. We had ice cream and all, ate all the other snacks that Gina doesn't want them, to, want them to have, so it's fun when I get to give it to them. We wrestled, watched some Super Y, we hung out. No problem, we had a great time. Boys got a bath, brushed their teeth, read some books. All was good, they're about to go to bed. But then they look at me, and I'm about to say goodnight, Look at and they look at me and they say, Umma's coming. And for those of you who don't know, 엄마 means mom in Korean. So they look at me and say, like, mom's coming. And I'm like, yeah, she's coming, but we're going to go to bed first, and don't worry about it, but she's coming. And they look at me like, and they weren't upset or anything, but they're like, no, 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 she's, she's going to come. We can't really go to bed without her coming, so we're going to wait for her. I'm like, no, 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 you're going to bed. Because I don't know, you know, sometimes ladies, they can go get talking. It might be midnight. I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm trying to get them to go to bed. So finally, I convince them to go to bed. And so I go to my room. Ten minutes later, I hear footsteps. I'm like, ah, oh, the boys. So there are my boys come running into my room. And they look at me like, Amma's coming. That's what they needed. They were looking forward to it. Their hope was found in the fact that Amma was coming soon. And they weren't upset. They were just kind of like, just letting you know Amma's coming, Dad. You know, it's okay. So even though we had a great night, it was missing something. They wanted their umma there. They wanted their mom there to complete their night. They were, that's what they were eagerly looking forward to. They wanted the kiss from their mom before they went to bed that night. They wanted their mom to tuck them in. Even though I thought I did a good enough job, but mm, guess not. They like me when they give out the ice cream, not when they go to bed. I get it. The call that James is giving us is to be patient because we know that our dad is coming. Very much like my boys who knew with confidence that Amma was coming back because she said she was. We know that one day our dad is coming to get us. Our God is coming to make all things new. This is painted, a picture of this is painted in Revelation chapter 21. And it says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. This is coming. This is where the Christian hope hinges that he is coming, that he will make all things new, that tears and mourning and loss and sadness all will vanish. And we're moving towards this day. And for thousands of years, for millennia, two millennia, that the Christian hope was focused on this. They said, Amma's coming. They said, my dad is coming. And he will fix all that is wrong, all that is messed up. It will be made right. Hold on. You're almost there. Be patient. We're almost there. It won't be long. Every bit of difficulty, suffering, weariness, depression, anxiety will all be over on that day. There will no longer need to be a fight to hang on, and hang in there. The Lord is coming. Our dad is coming. Be patient. Hold on. And have that hope in your heart. Two, be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. If we see this illustration, it says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. He ties it back, you too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord is coming near. This is something I think is difficult for us to see. This idea that of being patient because God is doing something, God is birthing something, it's so hard. And there's this kind of linear line that that occurs between the coming of Christ and all things being made new is over here at the end of history. We know that's going to happen. The consummation of the kingdom is going to happen. But you and I are somewhere back here. You know, we're, we're, we've, we've been saved by grace. We've been redeemed people, called people, but we're not here yet. And in this process of before this happens, God is doing something. He's working in us. He's doing something called sanctification in us. He's making us more like Jesus. He's sanctifying us, making us more and more and more like his son. And God uses both joys and sorrows to conform us to the image of his son. If you're a Christian, hear me very well. That troubles and difficulties and toils in your life are not punishment. Can you hear me? You're not being punished for not having enough quiet times or a long enough quiet time. We're not going to church enough. We're not reading the Bible enough. That's not how it works. You are fully loved, fully accepted in Christ if you are a son or daughter of the king. That doesn't mean the Lord doesn't have work to do that he, that he decides to do in you. But what, he, what I'm saying to you is that any troubles or sorrows that come your way is not punishment because you are fully forgiven, fully set free if you are a son and daughter of Jesus, if you are a son and daughter of the king. But he's doing a work in your heart. You guys know, I, I speak about the I told you guys, I was watching my boys last night, so they're four and six, and I love them so much there's nothing I love in the world more than them. It's hard for me to imagine anything I, I could do that they can do right now that make me love them and not love them at all. But they, I know, as much as I love them, as much as I adore them, I know that they have work. They need a lot of work, actually. They're, just, they're a lot of fun. Part of the work is rewarding what is good and right, and part of that is disciplining what is wrong. I hate disciplining my boys. I'm just going to be honest with you. I love being the fun dad. I want to throw them around. I want to give them ice cream when I shouldn't. It's so much fun to be the fun dad. I love rewarding them. But that would, if I did that all the time, that would make me a terrible, terrible father. Because it would lead to rotten fruit. And spoiled fruit is rotten fruit, and that is fruit you don't want. I, did, I need to discipline them. And it means more, it means that I love them so much that I'm doing the thing that I don't want to do, do the very act that is so hard for me that I don't want to do to love them and to discipline them. Hebrews 12 says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Guys, I remember as a kid, my mom, as a kid when I was growing up, my mom would have to punish me. And every time she would punish me, every time she would have to give me a spanking, that she would always cry. And at first I'd be like, why are you crying? This is the hurt. I'm the one that's getting hurt. <laughs> crying, mom. No, but it always made me feel so much worse because my mom said it hurts her so much more. Just to see me hurt, she would cry. But she was willing to do it because she loved me so much. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Difficulty for the Christian is not God punishing his children, but it's God shaping and molding you. James argued this earlier in the book in, in one. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance, that's what patience is. Perseverance is basically the patience advanced, what patience builds up to. God is accomplishing, producing in you fruits of righteousness, Be patient. The Lord is at work in your struggle. He's at work in your joy. He's at work in your losses. He's at work in your fight. He's at work. Don't lose hope. Be patient. God's accomplishing things. He's building your confidence and breaking your idolatry. Be patient. The Lord is at work. Be patient. The Lord is coming. And how important is this word right now for us as we're dealing with a global pandemic and all that comes from it. As we all suffer from this COVID depression and COVID anxiety, as we suffer from what I call the COVID multiplier, may we be patient, yes, even in this time. By my faith, my people, can you see how God will use even this to secure sweet glory? Our children in VBS a couple weeks ago memorized a a sweet Bible verse. The pre-K version of this was in Philippians 1.6. And the pre-K version of it goes like this. "Is I know that God started a good work in me. And he will complete it. I what the kids memorize during a virtual VBS. May we memorize that as a people. Our kids know this now. May we that God has started a good work in you. He is faithful. He will finish it and complete it. And he's even using these hard times to do it. Be patient. The farmer plants in hard ground. The fruit the fruit and the plants don't come overnight, but one day it breaks through the hard ground. One day it blooms, and one day it produces fruit that's worth eating. Be patient. It's producing something. Three, be patient with each other. Look at verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is sitting at the door. And we're going from be patient, the Lord is coming. Be patient, the Lord is at work. Then he enters, be patient with one another. I love how it says don't grumble. Does anyone use that word? Grumble? I love that word. What is, what is grumble? I looked it up. It means to complain about something. And I, I love when words almost sound like their meaning. Grumble has a connotation of almost like complaining about something, but almost like mumbling. It kind of an, almost like underneath your breath complaining with a hint of grouchiness. You yeah, know, that's my definition of grumble. And Jamie's saying, don't grumble, but be patient with one another. His argument for being patient is that the judge of all gave you grace. I love how the judge is at the door, but he didn't judge you. Don't judge. Even when you deserved it, his argument is that ultimately you're receiving the same grace as others. In the same way others get on your nerves, you most honestly definitely get on the nerves of other people. Can I tell you, a surefire way for a Christian to not walk in the joy that God has given to them is by him focusing on the weaknesses of the churchgoers around him and grumbling about them. A surefire way for a Christian to not walk in the freedom and the joy and the fullness of God is by grumbling about all the other church go- go- goers around them. Can I tell you, about people, if you focus on how terrible the people are around you or how they aren't up to snuff, then you'll grumble about them. And this will lead you to separating from community and will decay your spirit. Guys, can I tell you, I speak from experience. I've often told people this, that I was an awfully pretentious college student back in the day. I thought me and my friends were the only ones who knew Jesus, who were passionate about Him and cared about His mission. I would attend church after church, ministry after ministry, and always find something wrong. Oh, that band wasn't good enough, or oh, that band focused only on me, or that preacher didn't, you know, say enough scripture references, or oh, that lighting was terrible, or the welcome team was this, or the people there were bad, or uptight, or whatever it may be. And I was just focus on all oh, that was so bad. All this time, I thought I was Mr. Spiritual. But instead I was a hypocrite and I was poisoning myself with my thinking. What's true is that none of us are complete. None of us are there yet. The Lord is still working in each and every one of us. This means we're in varying stages and varying pro- steps on that process. God's grace for us stays lavish and extravagant throughout our sanctification process. This text reminds me of the parable Jesus tells about a man who has forgiven much debt and immediately went out to those who owed him and threw them into prison for not being able to pay him back. When Even though he's been forgiven so much by somebody else. Guys, do you understand how much you've been forgiven of? How gracious God has been to you? I promise if you do, then you would start showing grace and mercy and patience to others. Maybe you would stop grumbling and judging other people. James' argument is for us to be glad that we weren't judged the way we should have been so that we then should show that same kind of mercy. To understand the mercy that's been extended to us enables us to extend mercy to others. So don't grumble. Be patient with your brothers. And I love how this whole, this whole idea of being patient in suffering, he mentioned something so practical about being patient with others. Guys, I want you to understand this, that being patient with others grows your patience in waiting on the Lord. Number four, be patient. God's promises are true. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we have blessed bless those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James turns our attention to the prophets, and what does this example show? The prophets suffered and remained steadfast, remained patient, even though they suffered because of their identification with God. They identified with God, they were preached, they preached His word, they were spreading His gospel, but they were mocked, beaten. Hebrews says they were sawn too, yet they remained steadfast. How amazing is it that these prophets stayed true and were patient throughout, though they never actually got to see the reward in their life. I mean, when we talk about being patient, we often think that whatever circumstance we are in will have a near ending. Yet the prophets never got to see the end of it. They were able to live off the hope of the promises of God. They didn't get to see the coming of the Messiah like we do. Instead, they were able to persevere through the promise of the coming of this Messiah. They had hope in this Messiah and they carried them through. Maybe what you're suffering right now doesn't seem to have an end in sight. Maybe you have a lifelong issue or condition. But even you, even all of us, take hope in the promises of God like the prophets did. Look beyond what you can see and hold on to the promises of God. That's how the prophets made it. They look not just to the promises of vague entities somewhere. They look to what we celebrate today, the resurrection, the coming of the Lord as they best could understand it in the imperfect ways of the Old Testament. They look beyond all the mocking, all the jeering, being identified with God in his word. They looked to the promise and remained steadfast. Guys, man, we remain steadfast. And I love, just love what hope can do for our human spirit. Hope can endure all things. And that's what the prophets endured because they had hope. How much more then is our hope? We have seen the Messiah. We have seen his death and resurrection. We, have, we are recipients of what he's purchased. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we know he's going to come again to consummate his kingdom. What hope we have. More so than even the prophets did. Remain steadfast. James goes from an example from the prophets to his example in Job. And here what happens in the book of Job. Um, and guys, mind you, uh, some, people, like, some people understand Job as, as, as what it's meant to be. It's supposed to be a book of encouragement to God's people. But some people hate the book of Job. All right? I'm just going to be honest with you. I might not like it the most either. Because here in the book of Job is this really difficult concept, this really difficult book of a guy having everything and then all of it, all of it being taken away. And most of us don't like that book because we don't want all of it taken away, right? But this book is meant to encourage the people of God because this book tells us that God is on his throne and he is sovereign and what he has is better than all the goods that we have in this world. So here's the book of Job, 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 and God's on his throne, and then the accuser walks in, and the devil is the accuser, the accuser is the devil. He walks in, and God asks the accuser what he's been up to. And it's kind of interesting, when God asks somebody a question, it's not because God doesn't know the answer, you know, he could understand that. So God's like, hey, what you been doing? And the, the accuser says, I've been looking at all your, your children, and God says, well, have you considered Job? The accuser goes, of course he praises you. You know, of course Job praises you, because look at him, he, he, he has everything, he has wealth, he has family, he's got it all, but if he didn't have all that stuff, he's going to curse you. So God says, okay. And we, we see this in this short amount of time, Job loses everything. Everything goes away. He loses everything that was worth anything in this life, it's gone. At one point, Job tears his clothes, gets in sackcloth and ashes, and says, naked I come from my mother's room, and naked I will return. The Lord has given the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He still praises. The scene switches. We're back in heaven. The accuser walks in. Job's lost everything. And then Job's, the accuser says, well, it's because he might have lost all his material things in his family, but he still has his health. Take that away. And then he'll curse your name. And God says, okay, but don't kill him. Now, a couple of things I love about this early part of Job is you see that the accuser has to ask permission from God. And God even grants, even when he grants permission, gives parameters In other words, as somebody puts it, the dog is on a leash. That's what we see about the accuser. He's a dog on a leash. The Bible tells us from the top of his head to the Bible, that Job breaks out and boils. And his wife even tells Job to curse God and die. But Job still praises God. Ultimately here, this is meant to encourage the believers James is writing to. How? Because the believer in James knew that the last five chapters of Job happens. They know that God meets Job in his brokenness. He heals Job, he restores Job, all that is being taken away, and we see the compassion and love of God made manifest in difficult days in in the end of Job's life. You see, they can look back upon centuries, if not millennia, of God's faithfulness to the prophets and to Job, the one who has suffered more than anyone else in this room has, and they see that even then, even in this difficult situation, God's promises are true. God has never betrayed. God has never failed. And I'm not saying that, and I want you to hear this very well, I'm not saying that any, what this means is that no matter what happens, whatever circumstance you're in, that no matter if, if something bad happens to you, that God will one day make it all right again in this lifetime. His promises are true that no matter all circumstances, He gives you a reward that's better than anything else this world has to offer. In Genesis 12, God promises Abraham, he says, I will be your great reward. Can I tell you something, my people? Wealth and money can come and go. Health comes and goes. We all one day eventually die. But the promise of God is this, that he will eternally be our God. That we can be eternally known, that we can have eternal love and be called to eternal life and purpose. The hope that we have is not that all will be made right in this life, in this time. Our hope that we have is one day, all, even though this life may be short, even though it feels like it's everything, that we have more than what feels like everything. We have eternal relationship, eternal love, and we have something that's worth more than we have a God who knows us and loves us. It's worth more than all the pleasures of this earth combined. Be patient. God's promises are true. But does that promise you and I a life of ease, a life without tears? But I promise you, God's promises are true. He will hold you. He will not let into your life what He will not sustain and hold you in. His promises are true, so stay true. Five. Be patient with each other again. In honesty, James is so serious about this. What this? What this life of? How life needs to be lived in community. He circles back around to being patient with one another again, but this time with a nuance. He says earlier, it says without grumbling. This is going to be more about the culture of the community of faith that is patiently awaiting the return of Jesus. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. When James says do not swear no, earth, he's prohibiting invoking the name of God as a type of weight to your yes or no. He's saying don't do that. He's He's saying, yeah, I'll do that. Will you really do that? I swear by God I'll do that. He's saying don't do that. What he's doing is kind of almost contrary to Levitical law, where you see in Leviticus the need to uh, necessity for an oath, and what happens if you break an oath, right? He, there's these prohibitions and punishments for saying an oath and breaking an oath. And what, what James is saying is, no, 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 be a different community of love, of liberty, of 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 of, of, a, of, of a life of group together that lives differently, that whose yeses are just your yeses, whose knows who are their knows. And those of you who have experienced grace and mercy, those of you who have experienced the loving kindness of God live anointed lives loving and encouraging and saying yes as often as we can to our brothers and sisters and letting our no be our no and our yes be our yes. We have no need to swear by the name of God because God has created a community that lives by the law of liberty. It's this idea of being genuine people in genuine community. Guys, as we're patient with each other, as we're patiently waiting the Lord, what we're called to do is live out that patient life in community. Give an example of growing our patience and our suffering by the way we're patient with each other as we're honest and living genuine lives with each other. We need to be real, honest, and vulnerable as we're patiently waiting on the Lord. Over and over this passage, James calls us to patience. How are we to grow in it? I want to give you five simple ways that I've just been kind of, or four simple ways that I've just been kind of messing around in my mind here this week is four simple ways of how do we grow in our patience. Number one, we need to embrace the chaos of every day. What do I mean by that? I mean, like, most of us have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, but we all have a calendar. We all have schedules. We all have plans. Some of us are much more scheduled than the others. But I want you to understand that God has the ability, has a red pencil. He can mark through any calendar event that we, that we plan ahead. That can be changed in a moment. So in other words, we need to realize that we don't have all the control and that we are helpless. We need to put ourselves in our Heavenly Father's hands and realize that whatever we consider chaos is part of the process and part of the purpose. We embrace the chaos because that's what God is using to grow our trust in him. Guys, when we come to truly just understand that what we're trying to do is we try to control and be gods of our own little world and the more control we have, the more empowered we feel and the more empowered we feel, the safer we feel. But instead of doing that, what God is saying, let it go and trust me because I'm the God that's in control and you never will be. You can learn patience by embracing the fact that you are not totally in control. Two. Don't put a timetable on your trials. When trials come, the first thing we wanna know is, God, when am I gonna get over this? When's it gonna be over? But one of the things that we have to realize is that God doesn't want us to be selfish with our trials even. Every day he lets us stay in a difficult circumstance that's not just, not just for our own personal growth, but also it reminds us that God is doing this so that we can comfort others. See, the reality is when we just say, okay, When is this trial going to be over? Some of us could just be like, well, I can suck it up for a week. Some of us say, if there's a trial that comes, we put this timetable on it, we think, well, I can kind of handle it for a month. I can get that. And what are you doing when you do that? Is you're doing it for yourself. You're doing it in your own power. You're saying, I can handle this for a month. Instead of trusting God in the midst of whatever happens, however long it is, I need your help, your strength to sustain And that realizing that this trial is a purpose, it's it's not just here, oh, just for a week just to mess with you or to throw a wrench in your schedule for the fun of it. No, it also could exist to shape you and to mold you. You don't know how long long that's going to take. Also, it's also there so that you can comfort others. Can I tell you something? One of the most blessing things that ever happens to me is when I first found out that my mom had thyroid and breast cancer and my dad had kidney cancer is when my when my friends come up to me and goes, guys, Lawrence, I've been through that too. I know that hard. And for those of you, I remember um, I had one of my old pastors, friends of mine, Pastor David, um, he preached a sermon one time about losing his, his, his oldest son. And I remember that after he preached that sermon, how many people came up to him afterwards with tears in their eyes and they were just hugging and comforting each other. There is something so powerful that God allows us to go through so that we can be a comfort to others that we can be used to empathize and help and heal other people. Don't put a timetable on your sufferings or your trials. Three, wait upon God in prayer. I mean, this beautiful idea that we get to just go to God in prayer is incredible enough, but sometimes we go to God with just an expectation of, here, God, here's the things I want done, boom, 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 and okay, God, just get them done. And I'm not saying wait upon God means you have to spend like, hey, are you spending 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours in prayer? I used to read stories about heroes of the faith, Martin Luther and these other guys, and they were talking about, oh, I couldn't even go through a day if I didn't spend three hours on my knees in prayer. Now I would feel so guilty. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then like, I think one guy, I think like, um, I can't remember the name of the guy. um, Was it Spurgeon? I don't remember who it was. But he would talk about he'd spend three hours a day in prayer. He worked a full-time job as a pastor and he had 12 kids. And I'm like, how do you have time to spend three hours a day in prayer? What are you doing? I mean, it's just crazy. And I'm not talking about the length of time. Maybe some of you need to do that. Maybe that's what you need to, God's calling you to spend a whole bunch of dedicated time just praying. But what I'm also talking about is spending time, waiting upon God in prayer means praying a long period of time for something to happen. And not giving up on that prayer. Uh, one of my favorite stories of this is St. Augustine, before he came to know Jesus, his mother would pray for him day after day, month after month, year after year, praying and praying, nonstop just praying and praying for him to know the Lord. Guys, some of us are called to pray in a persevering, long prayer. And waiting upon God is so difficult to wait upon him in prayer in a microwave culture where we want things to be done right away. Four, remember who you are, remember where you are. Remember where you are, remember who you are. This is not our home. Jesus has, has raised, been raised from the dead. He will be back comparatively, He will be back comparatively speaking soon. And in heaven and we won't be able, in heaven, we won't be able to be patient anymore. In heaven, we'll see everything come to its fullest. In heaven, we will see everything right and it's going to be good, it's going to be done, it's going to be perfect, it's going to be complete. Now is the only time for our, us to learn this virtue of patience. While we're on this earth, this is the only time. And that's why God takes so much time and is so patient with us because as we learn to wait upon him, as we remember where we are, as we wait upon him in this in-between his coming, it shows Jesus as beautiful. Because if he's worth waiting for, if he's worth hoping for, if he's worth being patiently waiting for, in the midst of difficulties, we can still say he's worth waiting for. It's so beautiful that we show the world that he is so beautiful and he's so glorious. And in a world full of hurry and instant gratification, a patient person, especially when life is hard, is a valuable commodity as so many people want and so few people know. Remember where you are. Be reminded over and over again that we're not there yet. Only now can you be growing in patience. So my brothers and sisters, be patient. Hold on to his promises as we lean on one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, God, we thank you for the work of the cross. God, that in the fullness of time that you came and then you, you lived the perfect life of love and you died upon the cross and you resurrected today, that's our hope is built on that truth. God, that because the truth that you love us, that you know us, that you pursue us, that you rescue us, and you're going to make all things new. The the whole gospel message isn't just a one-time transactional system, but it's this whole meta-narrative, this big story. God, that you are preparing a place for us that you will consummate your kingdom. That all will be made right. So as we embrace troubles now, as we face difficulties now, as we face health scares, as we face global pandemic, as we face economic losses, as we face, face death and anxiety and fear, God we, face them, God, we face them with patience. Knowing that you're doing a peculiar work. Knowing that our hope is in heaven. Knowing that you will make all things right. We face it with patience, God, and in this patience we live in this community together as we help each other develop patience. God, help our patience become perseverance. This long-suffering, help it glorify you. May we exude a peculiar odor, a peculiar glory. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.